decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios. And we have no sound. Hang on just a minute. Hey, can you hear me now? Yes, there we go. All right, I'm going to play a theme song again, and we'll do the show opening again. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And now I am your host, coming to you from the Air Inn Studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Good to have you with us here this morning. This is Squirrel Chatter. I am your squirrel. And we are... It's Friday. It's Friday. Yes. The weekend is coming. Church is coming on Sunday. Start making plans now to go to church. And remember, church starts Saturday night. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. Some thoughts about yesterday. Um, I mentioned yesterday when I had seen the news that uh, um, Prime Minister Liz Truss of the United Kingdom was uh, resigning. And I was very surprised by that. Uh, only 45 days in. And I had been curious because, I mean, she was just elected by the conservatives, you know, a couple of months ago, and here she is being forced out by the conservatives, and I couldn't understand why. And when she was elected, you know, right before the queen died, I had paid attention to that and, and looked at her proposed policies of lower taxes and and bringing industry back to the United Kingdom and uh, putting people back to work and and you know doing everything she could to, to lower inflation and all that and her policies to my mind looked good well what happened was she got a lot of pushback from the liberal media and there was a lot of outcry about her policy from certain quarters who would oppose anything along those lines, just as they do here. And she caved. And she withdrew proposals. And she modified proposals. And so that's why she lost her conservatives. She didn't follow through on her policies and on her promises. Um, her policies and promises were good, but when she got pushback, she caved. Um, not completely, not totally, but significantly. To the point where she had nothing, nowhere to go. Because her own party was not supporting her less conservative compromise proposals. And so that is how she ended up being driven out. And there was another cabal within the conservative party that's still there that is, you know, the globalist World Economic Front people. And they're pushing to take over the party, and that would not be a good thing. Um, there, are, there are people who want to undo Brexit 
in the ruling class of Britain, which they have been there from the beginning. Um, remember when the Brexit, Brexit vote was held, it was believed that Brexit would go down into resounding defeat, and yet it passed. And a lot of the politicians who were in favor of Brexit were stunned, or who were against Brexit were stunned. Um, and so there was a, there's a disconnect between the globalists in the Conservative Party of Great Britain and the British people. Um, and so there, there's, there's some serious issues there. I mean, remember when Boris Johnson came in, he held the last general election and he won it, but he had lost ground. He was thinking that he would have this groundswell of support after Brexit, but he lost ground. Um, but they kept a majority. And so the conservatives are still in power in Great Britain. They don't have to have another general election for two years. So whoever ends up being party leader will be prime minister. Um, they can call for a general election sooner than two years, but they will have to face one in two years. Right now, the conservative party seems in great disarray. Um, would not want to see a labor government right now. Um, uh, it's just, it's like everywhere, the politics of Great Britain right now are in a crucial phase. And I had thought that they had elected a true conservative in Liz Truss, but she obviously didn't have the backbone to push through her agenda. She wasn't Margaret Thatcher. Margaret Thatcher had similar policies and faced the same resistance to them. But she pushed them through and gave Great Britain a time of great prosperity, which the liberals have done everything they could to not just erase that prosperity, but erase the, the uh, memory of it um, to where by the time she died, Lady Thatcher was, was reviled, um, at least by the press. I remember when Ronald Reagan died in 2004 and I remember all the fond memories of the Reagan years that everybody was coming out with and the outpourings of love for Ronald Reagan um, during everything around his funeral and I remember the stunned disbelief among the Democrats and the, the liberal media because they had worked so hard to try to erase Reagan's legacy and try to demonize his policies. Yet, when he passed away, having not been on the public scene for many years because of his Alzheimer's, but when he passed away, there was a huge outpouring of love. And my understanding is that the Reagan Library is one of the most visited presidential libraries. I have visited two presidential libraries, Reagan's and George W. Bush's. And I have visited Reagan's three or four times. Um, usually during Shepherd's Conference. I'll, I'll go up there um, 
Not so much to see the Reagan library portion, although it's always fun to walk through there and be reminded. But mainly in the basement, they have a huge exhibit hall that changes exhibits. And so I'll go back there and they'll have something different. And so I'll go up there for the day um, to see that other exhibit. Um, they had one on Pompeii one year that was really fascinating because all of the things from the Pompeii Museum were in the, the, the museum in Naples, Italy was being remodeled. And so a huge portion of the collection had gone on tour in the United States. And it was, you know, at the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C., and it was at the Reagan Library. It was at the Reagan Library for like six months. And uh, because they had, you know, they, they needed to get it out of Italy, they needed to, it was better to, to send it on tour, um, which raised funds, than to just stick it in a warehouse somewhere. So they had this great Pompeii exhibit. And then they had one on Genghis Khan that was just really interesting. And one of them, I remember, it was the White House Christmases depicted in these large-scale dollhouses. And they had these large-scale models of the White House. And, and by large-scale models of the White House, I'm talking, you know, 8, 10 feet long and, you know, four feet high kind of things. I mean, it's huge, you know, huge models of the White House. And and they, they were just, each one was decorated um, as it would have been for Christmas in different eras of history. It's like, you know, Andrew Jackson's Christmas and, you know, uh, Teddy Roosevelt's Christmas. And, so, and of course, it had a Reagan, Reagan White House decoration too. But you know, just things like that. But all of that to say that Reagan was still very, very popular when he passed on. But just a few, you know, a decade or so later, when Margaret Thatcher passed away, I remember watching, you know, like her being burned in effigy and stuff on the streets of 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 London and, and, you know, just being reviled. And yet she had, her policies had brought about great prosperity for the nation and indeed, you know, a, a renewal of, you know, uh, military power is she had won the Falklands war and, you know, she was the prime minister during that war. And so, you know, you look at, you know, how her reputation was damaged. Um, and I think there was probably a redoubling of effort to damage her reputation after Reagan's death because they didn't want a resurgence of Margaret Thatcher, you know, like policy. And so Liz Truss came in with a very Thatcher-esque platform. And she received a lot of pushback from liberals in the media and liberals in politics and liberals in business. And she caved. Instead of pushing through her agenda, she modified her agenda. She withdrew parts of it. And that's ultimately what cost her her premiership. Uh, shortest serving prime minister in British history. 
the previous shortest serving prime minister had served for six months and he died in office. That was why his was so short. Um, she went 45 days, <laughs> barely a month and a half. So, you know, sad deal, sad deal. Now, I don't know what or how, if any, the effect of the queen's death had upon her policies or upon, you know, because politics basically stopped for 20 days. And that may have given the opposition time to make their plans. And as soon as the queen was buried, they launched their plans, and those plans were successful in pressuring Liz Truss to withdraw her policies and stuff. I wasn't going to get into this until Monday, but uh, it was on my mind, so I thought I'd bring it up. This is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast that is dedicated primarily to the public reading of Scripture and secondarily to my thoughts on various topics of the day, including British politics, which uh, is neither here nor there. Um, and today is Friday, October 21st, 2022. And it's Federalist Friday, so we're going to be looking at the Federalist Papers today. I think we're on Federalist number 9. I still have my clock up here. I should get back to my... There we go. Yes, Federalist number 9 today. Also, our scripture readings are Jeremiah 50 and 51 and 2 Peter 3. All right, we have delayed enough. Let us begin, as is our practice, with the Prayer of Confession from the 1552 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us miserable offenders. Spare thou them, O God, which confess their faults. Restore thou them that are penitent according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. And now our prayer for the reading of the word. Blessed Lord, who hast caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which thou hast given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So now, Jeremiah chapter 50. The word which Yahweh spoke concerning Babylon, the land of the Chaldeans, by the hand of Jeremiah the prophet. Declare and make it heard among the nations. Make it heard and lift up a standard. Do not conceal it, but say, Babylon has been captured. Bel has been put to shame. Marduk has been shadow shattered. Her images have been put to shame. Her idols have been shattered. For a nation has come up against her out of the north. It will make her a land, it will make her land an object of horror, and there will be no inhabitant in it. Both man and beast have wandered off, they have gone away. In those days, and at that time, declares Yahweh, the sons of Israel will come, both they and the sons of Judah as well. 
and they will go along weeping as they go. And it will be Yahweh their God they will seek. They will ask for the way to Zion, turning their face in its direction and saying, Come, in order that they may join themselves to Yahweh in an everlasting covenant that will not be forgotten. My people have become lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray. They have made them turn away on the mountains. They have gone along from the mountain to hill and have forgotten their resting place. All who came out against them have devoured them, and their adversaries have said, We are not guilty, inasmuch as they have sinned against Yahweh, who is the abode of righteousness, even Yahweh the hope of their fathers. Wander away from the midst of Babylon and go forth from the land of the Chaldeans. Be also like male goats at the head of the flock, for behold, I am going to arouse and bring up against Babylon an assembly of great nations from the land of the north. And they will arrange their battle lines against her. From there she will be taken captive. Their arrows will be like a warrior who makes one childless, who does not return empty-handed. Chaldea will become spoil. All who have taken her spoil will have enough, declares Yahweh. Because you are glad, because you exalt, all, O you who plunder my inheritance, because you skip about like a threshing heifer and neigh like, a valiant, like valiant steeds, your mother will be greatly ashamed. She who gave you birth will be humiliated. Behold, she will be the least of the nations, a wilderness, a parched land, and a desert. Because of the wrath of Yahweh, she will not be inhabited, but she will be completely desolate. Everyone who passes by Babylon will be in desolation and will hiss because of all her wounds. Arrange your battle lines against Babylon on every side, all you who bend the bow. Shoot at her, do not be sparing with your arrows, for she has sinned against Yahweh. Raise a loud shout against her on every side. She has given herself up, her pillars have fallen, her walls have been pulled down, for this is the vengeance of Yahweh. Take vengeance on her as she has done to others, so do to her. Cut off the sower from Babylon and the one who seizes the sickle at the time of harvest. From before the sword of the oppressor, they will each turn back to his own people, and they will each flee to his own land. Israel is a scattered flock. The lions have banished them away. The first one who devoured them was the king of Assyria, and the last one who has broken his bones is Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Therefore, thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am going to punish the king of Babylon and his land, just as I have punished the king of Assyria. And I will return Israel back to his pasture, and he will graze on Carmel and Bashan, and his desire will be satisfied in the hill country of Ephraim and Gilead. In those days and at that time, declares Yahweh, search will be made for the iniquity of Israel, but there will be none, and for the sins of Judah, but they will not be found, for I will pardon those whom I leave as a remnant. Against the land of Merathiam, Go up against it, and against the inhabitants of Pekod. Put them to the sword and devote them to destruction, declares Yahweh. And do according to all that I have commanded you. The noise of battle is in the land, and great destruction. How the hammer of the whole earth has been cut in pieces and broken. How Babylon has become an object of horror among the nations. I set a snare for you, and you were also caught, O Babylon. But you yourself did not know it. 
You have been found and also seized because you have engaged in conflict with Yahweh. Yahweh has opened his armory and has brought forth the weapons of his indignation. For it is a work of Lord Yahweh of hosts in the land of the Chaldeans. Come to her from the farthest border, open up her barns, pile, up, pile her up like heaps, and devote her to destruction. Let nothing of her remain. Put all your young bulls, to, all her young bulls, to the sword. Let them go down to the slaughter. Woe be upon them, for their day has come, the time of their punishment. There is a sound of those who flee and escape from the land of Babylon, to declare in Zion the vengeance of Yahweh our God, vengeance for his temple. Summon many against Babylon, all those who bend the bow, encamp against her on every side. Let there be no escape. Repay her according to her work, according to all that she has done, so do to her. For she has become arrogant against Yahweh, against the Holy One of Israel. Therefore her young men will fall in her open squares, and all her men of war will be silenced in that day, declares Yahweh. Behold, I am against you, O arrogant one, declares Lord Yahweh of hosts. For your day has come the time when I will punish you. The arrogant one will stumble and fall with no one to raise him up, and I will set fire to his cities, and it will devour him on every side. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, The sons of Israel are oppressed, and the sons of Judah as well, and all who took them captive have held them fast. They have refused to let them go. Their Redeemer is strong. Yahweh of hosts is his name. He will vigorously plead their case, so that he may bring relief to the earth, but turmoil to the inhabitants of Babylon. A sword against the Chaldeans, declares Yahweh, and against the inhabitants of Babylon, and against her officials and her wise men. A sword against the oracle priests, and they will become fools. A sword against her mighty men, and they will be shattered. A sword against their horses, and against their chariots, and against all the foreigners who are in the midst of her, and they will become women." a sword against her treasures, and they will be plundered. A drought on her waters, and they will be dried up. For it is a land of graven images, and they are mad over terrifying idols. Therefore the desert creatures will live there along with the jackals. The ostriches also will live in it, and it will never again be lived in or dwelt in from generation to generation. As when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah with its neighbors, declares Yahweh, no man will live there, nor will any son of man sojourn in it. Behold, a people is coming from the north, and a great nation and many kings will be aroused from the remote parts of the earth. They seize their bow and javelin, they are cruel and have no compassion. Their voice roars like the sea, and they ride on horses, arranged like a man for the battle. Against you, O daughter of Babylon, the king of Babylon has heard the report about them, and his head hangs limp or and his hands hang limp. Distress has taken hold of him, agony like a woman in childbirth. Behold, one will come up like a lion from the thicket of the Jordan to an enduring pasture. For in an instant I will make them run away from it, and whoever is chosen I will appoint over it. For who is like me, and who will summon me into court? And who then is the shepherd who can stand before me? Therefore, Hear the counsel of Yahweh, which he has counseled against Babylon, and his purposes, which he has purposed against the land of the Chaldeans. Surely 
They will drag them off, even the little ones of the flock. Surely he will make their pasture desolate because of them. At the sound, Babylon has been seized, the earth is shaken, and an outcry is heard among the nations. Chapter 51. Thus says Yahweh, Behold, I am going to arouse against Babylon and against the inhabitants of Leb Kameh, the spirit of a destroyer. I will send strangers to Babylon and that they may winnow her and may empty her land to destruction. For on every side they will be against her in the day of her calamity. Let not him who bends his bow bend it, nor let him rise up in his scale armor. So do not spare her young men, devote all her army to destruction. They will fall down slain in the land of the Chaldeans, and pierce through in their streets. For neither Israel nor Judah has been widowed. By his God, by Yahweh of hosts, although their land is full of guilt before the Holy One of Israel. Flee from the midst of Babylon, and each of you escape with his life. Do not be silenced in her iniquity. For this is Yahweh's time of vengeance. He is going to render recompense to her. Babylon has been a golden cup in the hand of Yahweh, intoxicating all the earth. The nations have drunk of her wine, therefore the nations are going mad. Suddenly, Babylon has fallen and been broken. Wail over her. Take balm for her pain. Perhaps she may be healed. We applied healing to Babylon, but she was not healed. Forsake her and let us each go to his own country, for her judgment has touched heaven and lifts up to the very skies. Yahweh has brought about our righteousness. Come and let us recount in Zion the work of Yahweh our God. Sharpen the arrows, fill the quivers. Yahweh has aroused the spirit of the kings of the Medes, because his purpose is against Babylon to destroy it. For it is the vengeance of Yahweh, vengeance for his temple. Lift up a standard against the walls of Babylon. Make strong the watch. Raise up watchmen and establish in men in ambush. For Yahweh has both purposed and performed what he spoke concerning the inhabitants of Babylon. O you who dwell by abundant waters, abundant in treasures, your end has come, the measure of your end. Yahweh of hosts has sworn by himself, Surely I will fill you with a population like locusts, and they will cry out with shouts of victory over you. It is he who made the, made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding he stretches out the heavens. When he gives forth his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens, and he causes the clouds to ascend from the end of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. All mankind is senseless, devoid of knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his graven image, for his molten images are a lie and there is no breath in them. They are vanity, a work of mockery. In the time of their punishment they will perish. The, por por the portion of Jacob is, like these, is not like these, for the maker of all is he, and of the tribe of his inheritance Yahweh of hosts is his name. He says, You are my instruments of shattering, my weapons of war, and with you I shatter nations, and with you I destroy kingdoms. With you I shatter the horse and his rider, and with you I shatter the chariot and its rider, and with you I shatter man and woman, and with you I shatter old man and youth, and with you I shatter choice man and virgin. 
and with you I shatter the shepherd and his flock, and with you I shatter the farmer and his pair of oxen, and with you I shatter governors and precincts. But I will repay Babylon and all the inhabitants of Chaldea for all their evil that they have done in Zion before your eyes, declares Yahweh. Behold, I am against you, O destroying mountain, who destroys the whole earth, declares Yahweh. And I will stretch out my hand against you and roll you down from the crags, and I will make you a burnt-out mountain. And they will not take from you even a stone for a corner, nor a stone for foundations, but you will be a perpetual desolation, declares Yahweh. Lift up a standard in the land, blow a trumpet among the nations, set apart the nations against her, summon against her the kingdoms of Ararat, Mini, Ashkenaz, appoint a marshal against her, bring up the horses like bristly locusts. Set apart the nations against her, the kings of the Medes, their governors and all their prefects, and every land of their rule. So the land quakes and rise for the purpose of Yahweh against Babylon stand, to make the land of Babylon a desolation without inhabitants. The mighty men of Babylon have ceased fighting. They inhabit the strongholds. Their might is dried up. They are becoming like women. Their dwelling places are set on fire. The bars of her gates are broken. One runner runs to meet another, and one messenger to meet another, to give a message the king of Babylon to his city has been captured from end to end. The fords also have been seized, and they are burned. They have burned the marshes with fire, and the men of war are terrified. For thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, The daughter of Babylon is like a threshing floor at the time it is stamped firm. Yet in a little while the time of harvest will come for her. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has devoured me and brought me into confusion. He has set me down like an empty vessel. He has swallowed me like a sea monster. He has filled his stomach with my delicacies. He has rinsed me away. May the violence done to me and to my flesh be upon Babylon, the inhabitant of Zion will say. And may my blood be upon the inhabitants of Chaldea, Jerusalem will say. Therefore, Thus says Yahweh, Behold, I am going to plead your case and exact full vengeance for you, and I will dry up her sea and make her fountain dry. Babylon will become a heap of ruins, a haunt of jackals, an object of horror and hissing without inhabitants. They will roar together like young lions. They will growl like lion's cubs when they become heated up. I will set before them their feast and make them drunk, that they may exult and may sleep in perpetual sleep, and not wake up, declares Yahweh. I will bring them down like lambs to the slaughter, like rams together with male goats. How Shishak has been captured, and the praise of the whole earth been seized. How Babylon has become an object of horror among the nations. The sea has come up over Babylon. She has been covered with its tumultuous waves. Her cities have become an object of horror, a parched land and a desert a land in which no man lives, and through which no son of man passes. I will punish Bel in Babylon, and I will make what he has swallowed come out of his mouth. And the nations will no longer stream to him. Even the wall of Babylon has fallen down. Come forth from her midst, my people, and each of you escape with his life from the burning anger of Yahweh. 
Now, lest your heart grow faint, and you fear the report that will be heard in the land, for the report will come one year, and after that another report in another year, and violence will be in the land, with ruler against ruler. Therefore, behold, days are coming when I will punish the graven images of Babylon, and her whole land will be put to shame, and all her slain will fall in her midst." Then heaven and earth and all that is in them will shout for joy over Babylon, for the destroyers will come to her from the north, declares Yahweh. Indeed, Babylon is to fall for the slain of Israel, as also for Babylon the slain of all the earth have fallen. You who have escaped the scourge, go, do not stand around. Remember Yahweh from afar and let Jerusalem come upon your heart. We are ashamed because we have heard reproach. Dishonor has covered our faces, for strangers have entered the holy place of the house of Yahweh. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will punish her graven images, and the mortally wounded will groan throughout her land. Though Babylon should ascend to the heavens, and though she should fortify her lofty stronghold, from me destroyers will come to her, declares Yahweh. The sound of an outcry from Babylon and of the great destruction from the land of the Chaldeans. For Yahweh is going to destroy Babylon, and he will make her loud noises vanish from her, and their waves will roar like many waters. The rumbling of their voices sounds forth. For the destroyer is coming against her, against Babylon, and her mighty men will be captured. Their bows are shattered, for Yahweh is a God of recompense. He will fully repay. I will make her princes and her wise men drunk, her governors, her prefects, and her mighty men, that they may sleep a perpetual sleep and not wake up, declares the God, whose name is Yahweh of hosts. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, The broad wall of Babylon will be completely raised, and her high gates will be set on fire, so the peoples will toil for nothing, and the nations will become weary only from fire. The message which Jeremiah the prophet commanded Seraiah the son of Neriah, the grandson of Maasaiah, when he went to Zedekiah the king of Judah to Babylon in the fourth year of his reign. Now Seraiah was quartermaster. So Jeremiah wrote in a single scroll all the calamity which would come upon Babylon, that is, all these words which have been written concerning Babylon. Then Jeremiah said to Seraiah, As soon as you come to Babylon, then see that you read all these words aloud. And then you will say, You, O Yahweh, have promised concerning this place to cut it off, so that there will be nothing inhabiting it, whether man or beast, but it will be a perpetual desolation. And, as soon as you finish reading this scroll, you will tie a stone to it and throw it into the middle of the Euphrates. And then you will say, Just so shall Babylon sink down and not rise again because of the calamity that I am going to bring upon her, and they will become utterly weary. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. And now Second Peter chapter 3. This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder, that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, 
Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being deluged with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some consider slowness, but is patient toward you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be found out. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens burning will be destroyed, and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to his promise, we are look, looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are looking for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. And consider the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as, in also, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which there are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures, to their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, lest you, having been carried away by the error of unprincipled men, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen, says the word of the Lord. And now the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now the collect for grace. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, Almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, Defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings may be ordered by thy governance to do always that is righteous in thy sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. <sighs> all right. Federalist Friday. We are looking through the Federalist Papers, reading through them. And this is the ninth Federalist Paper. How many are there? It's like 60-something. So this is going to extend well beyond the election, which is just in 
three weeks' time. November 8th is Election Day. So we have just a few weeks before Election Day, but uh, so this reading of the Federalist Papers will continue long beyond then. And my plan is, once we have read through the Federalist Papers, then I want to go back through the Constitution, which we read 10 weeks ago, go back through the Constitution and look at it and comment on it in light of what is written in the Federalist Papers, that we might come to understand what was written and what was intended. And then we'll go through the amendments <laughs> um, and look at the, the not only the Bill of Rights, but all the amendments that have been placed in the Constitution since then and try to figure out how our government is supposed to be operating because it's not operating as designed. And I think we all are aware of that. And as my favorite bumper sticker that I never bought said, the Constitution of the United States isn't perfect, but it's better than what we've got now. And so we will, we will look at that. Okay, this is Federalist Number 9. The title is The Utility of the Union as a Safeguard Against Domestic Faction and Insurrection. This is from the Independent Journal, written by Alexander Hamilton. To the people of the state of New York, a firm union will be of the utmost moment to the peace and liberty of the states as a barrier against domestic faction and insurrection. It is impossible to read the history of the petty republics of Greece and Italy without feeling sensations of horror and disgust at the distractions with which they were continually agitated and at the rapid succession of their revolutions by which they were kept in a state of perpetual vibration between the extremes of tyranny and anarchy. If they exhibit occasional calms, these only serve as short-lived contrasts to the furious storms that are to secede. If now and then intervals of felicity open to view, we behold them with a mixture of regret arising from the reflection that the pleasing scenes before us are soon to be overwhelmed by the tempestuous waves of sedition and party rage. If momentary rays of glory break forth from the gloom while they dazzle us with a transient and fleeting brilliance, they, at the same time, admonish us to lament that the vices of government should pervert the, the direction and tarnish the luster of those bright talents and exalted endowments for which the favored soils that produce them have been so justly celebrated. From the disorders that disfigures the annals of these republics, the advocates of despotism have drawn arguments, not only against the forms of republican government, but against the vile principles of civil liberty. They have decried all freedom, all free government as inconsistent with the order of society and have indulged themselves in malicious exultation over its friends and partisans. Happily for, mankind, happily for mankind, stupendous fabrics reared on the basis of liberty, which have flourished for ages, have, in a few glorious instances, refuted their gloomy sophisms. And, I trust, America will be the broad and solid foundation of other edifices, not less magnificent, which will be equally permanent monuments of their errors. 
but it is not to be denied that the portraits they have sketched of Republican government were too just copies of the originals from which they were taken. If it had been found impractical to have devised models of a more perfect structure, the enlightened friends of to liberty, which have been obligate, which have been obliged to abandon the cause of that species of government as indefensible. The science of politics, however, like most other sciences, has received great improvement. The efficacy of various principles is now well understood, which were either not known at all or imperfectly known to the ancients. The regular distribution of power into distinct departments, the introduction of legislative, legislative balances and checks, the institution of courts composed of judges holding their offices during good behavior, the representation of the people in the legislature by deputies of their own election. These are wholly new discoveries or have been made the principal progress towards perfection in modern times. They are means and powerful means by which the excellencies of republican government may be retained and its imperfections lessened or avoided. To this catalog of circumstances that tend to the amelioration of popular systems of civil government, I shall venture, however novel it may appear to some, to add one more, on a principle which has been made the foundation of an objection to the new Constitution. I mean the enlargement of the orbit within which such systems are to revolve, either in respect to the dimensions of a single state or to the consideration of several smaller states into one great confederacy. The latter is that which immediately concerns the object under consideration. It will, however, be of use to examine the principle and its application to a single state, which shall be attended to in another place. The utility of a confederacy, as well as to su suppress faction and to guard the internal tranquility of the states, is to increase their external force and security, is in reality not a new idea. It has been practiced upon in different countries and ages and has received the sanction of the most approved writers on the subject of politics. The opponents of the plan proposed have, with great acidity, cited and circulated the observations of Montes Montesquieu on the, on the necessity of a contracted territory for a Republican government. But they have seemed not to have been appraised of the sentiments of that great man expressed in other parts of his work, nor to have adverted to the consequences of the principle to which they subscribe with such great acquiescence. When Montesquieu recommends a small extent for, for republics, the standards he had in view were of dimensions far short of the limits of almost every one of these states. Neither Virginia, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, New York, Carolina, nor Georgia can by any means be compared with the models from which he reasoned and to which the terms of his description apply. For we therefore take his ideas on this point as the criterion of truth. We shall be driven to the alternative either of taking refuge at once in the arms of monarchy or of splitting ourselves into an infinity of little, jealous, clashing, tumultuous commonwealths, the wretched nurseries of unceasing discord, and the miserable objects of universal pity or contempt. Some of the writers who have come forward on the other side of the question seem to have been aware of the dilemma, and have even been bold enough 
to hint at the division of the larger states as a desirable thing. Such an infatuated policy, such a desperate expedient, might, by the multiplication of petty offices, answer the views of men who possess not qualifications to extend their influence beyond the narrow circles of personal intrigue, but it could never promote the greatness or happiness of the people of America. Referring the examination of the principle itself to another place, as has already been mentioned, it will be sufficient to remark here that, in the sense of the author, who has been most emphatically quoted upon the occasion, it would only dictate a reduction of the size of more considerable members of the Union, but would not militate against their being all comprehended in one Confederate government. And this is the true question in the discussion of which we are at present interested. So far are the suggestions of, are the suggestions of Montesquieu from standing in opposition to a general union of the states that he explicitly treats of a Confederate Confederate Republic as the expedient for extending the sphere of popular government and reconciling the advantages of monarchy with those of republicanism. It is very probable, he says, that mankind would have been obliged at length to live constantly under the government of a single person had they not contrived a kind of constitution that has all the internal advantages of a republican whether with external force of monarchical government, I mean a confederate republic. This form of government is a convention by which several small states agree to become members of a larger one, which they intend to form. It is a kind of assemblage of societies that constitute a new one, capable of increasing by means of new associations, till they arrive to such a degree of power as to be able to provide for the security of the united body. A republic of this kind, able to withstand an external force, may support itself without any internal corruptions. The form of this society prevents all matter of inconveniences. If a single member should attempt to usurp the supreme authority, he could not be supposed to have an equal authority and credit in all the Confederate states. Were he to have too great an influence over one, this would alarm the rest. Were he to subdue a part that which would, would still remain free might oppose him with forces independent of those which he had usurped and overpower him before he could be settled in his usurpation. Should a popular insurrection happen in one of the Confederate states, the others are able to quell it. Should abuses creep into one part, they are reformed by those that remain sound. The state may be destroyed on one side and not on the other, the Confederacy may be dissolved, and the Confederates preserve their sovereignty. As this government is composed of small republics, it enjoys the internal happiness of each, and with respect to its external situation, it is possessed by means of the association of all the advantages of large monarchies. I have thought it proper to quote at length these interesting passages, because they contain a luminous abridgment of the principal arguments in favor of the Union and must effectually remove the false impressions which a misapplication of other parts of the work was calculated to make. They have, at the same time, an intimate connection with the more immediate design of this paper, which is to illustrate the tendency of the Union to repress domestic faction and insurrection. 
a distinction more subtle than accurate has been raised between a confederacy and a consolidation of the states. The essential characteristic the first is said to be the restriction of its authority to the members in their collective capacities without reaching to the individual of whom they are composed. It is contended that the National Council ought to have no concern with any object of internal administration. An exact equality of suffrage between the members has also been insisted upon as a leading feature of a Confederate government. These positions are, in the main, arbitrary. They are supported neither by principle nor precedent. It has indeed happened that government of this kind have generally operated in the manner which the distinction which the distinction taken notice of supposes to be inherent in their nature. But there have been in most of them extensive exceptions to the practice, which serve to prove, as far as the example will go, that there is no absolute rule on the subject. And it will be clearly shown in the course of this investigation that as far as the principle contended for has prevailed, it has been the cause of incurable disorder and imbecility in the government. The definition of a Confederate Republic seems simply to be an assemblage of societies, or an association of two or more states into one state. The extent, modifications, and objects of the federal authority are mere matters of discretion. So long as the separate organizations of the members be not abolished, so long as it exists by a constitutional necessity for local purposes, though it should be in perfect subordination to the general authority of the Union, it would still be, in fact and in theory, an association of states or a confederacy. The proposed Constitution, so, so far from implying an abolition of the state's governments, makes them constituent parts of the national sovereignty by allowing them a direct representation in the Senate and leaves in their possession certain exclusive and very important portions of sovereign power. This fully corresponds in every rational import of the terms with the idea of a federal government. In the Lycian Confederacy, which consists of 23 cities or republics, the largest were entitled to three votes in the Common Council, those of the middle class to two, and the smallest to one. The Common Council had the appointment of all the judges and magistrates of the respected cities. This was certainly the most delicate species of interference in their internal administration, for if there be anything that seems exclusively appropriate to the local jurisdictions, it is the appointment of their own officers. Yet Montesquieu, speaking of this association, says, Were I to give a model of an excellent Confederate Republic, it would be that of Lycia. Thus we perceive, thus we perceive that the distinctions insisted upon were not within the contemplation of this enlightened civilian, and we should be led to conclude that they are the novel refinements of an erroneous theory, Publius. All right, well, that was Federalist 9, and that was Squirrel Chatter for February, or for <laughs> February, for Friday, October 21st. It is not February yet. Not even close. <laughs> uh, there's a lot to go between here and February, so we will have to wait and see what happens but we trust that it is all in God's sovereign control. All right, folks. Pray for the election that's coming up. Pray as you consider your own votes. Pray for those who are currently in office and for those who are soon to be in office. Uh, 
Pray that God would send repentance upon our land. And go to church on Sunday. You need to worship with the saints. Remember this weekend to do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not to. And whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. We'll see you again here Monday for another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.